0: Go so quickly with me, if you would please, Isaiah chapter fifty-three. Isaiah chapter fifty-three. I want you to take these these uh, containers that we have. We're in a series, our end-time series, and um, you know there would be no second coming of the Lord if there was no first coming of the Lord. And, and I don't say that to be sillier in any way, I, I mean that. There'd be no eternity without Jesus coming and dying for us. There'd be, there'd be no payment for our sin, there'd be no remission of our sin without the shedding of blood. There's no remission of sin. What reconciles us as sinners back to a holy God is Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. In Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah writes this, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. We hid it as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, inflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we're healed. And all God's people said what? Amen to that. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before his shear is dumb. And he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment Who shall declare his generations? For he was cut off of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see a seed. He shall prolong his days. His pleasure, Lord, shall prosper in his land. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for our transgression. Would you go with me to 1 Corinthians, please? Chapter number 11, In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Isaiah is prophesying. What we just read is his prophesying of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He was telling the Israel there is a Messiah to come and he's gonna bear the iniquity of us all. Paul writes to the church at Corinth in verse number 23 of chapter 11. For I have received of the Lord, that which also I delivered unto you. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had up saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul gives some warning, or he gives us the way that we're to prepare for this time. He said, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink this cup of the cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. You know, that verse there would not be very popular preaching today. Paul says there's people that are weak, there's people that are sick, there's people that have even died. And the reason why is because they've not done well in this area. They're coming to the table eating unworthily. They're not living for the Lord. There's sin between them and the Lord and they're coming and they're not living for the Lord. They're coming to this table and they're drinking of this this juice and eating of this bread unworthily. He said in verse number 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another, tarry one for another. And If any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation and the rest will I set in order when I come. Before Jesus was, taken and crucified, he sat with his disciples. Remember, he washed the feet of his disciples and he sat with his disciples and he said this, he took the cup, he took the the bread and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Take, drink, this is my blood that was spilled for you, that was shed for you. And then there was a commandment that was given here through the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth to do this in remembrance of what Jesus Christ did. At no place at all during this time does this juice turn into anything other than juice. Does this cracker turn into anything other than cracker? This is juice and it's cracker from the time it was put into this cup to the time that it'll be placed in our mouth. We do not believe that we are consuming the blood of Jesus or the body of Jesus. What we're simply doing is recognizing what Jesus Christ has already done, remembering what he's already done, remembering what he did on the cross. He shed his blood. Jesus does not have to continually die. We don't have to continually be saved. Jesus died once. And all those that by faith, trust, believe what he did upon the cross, The Bible says they're saved. This does not save a person. Baptism does not save a person. It's just simply acknowledging when someone is baptized, it's acknowledging to the world that I believe I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This body represents the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so church, the command that Paul gave to the church is that we come to this right before the Lord, right before the Lord. There's nothing between us and the Lord. He says to check your heart, let a man examine himself in verse number 28, and then let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. I wanna remind you as well, the Bible doesn't say let a man examine himself or continue in his sin and not partake. It is not time for the Christian because there's sin in your life to not partake. When we come to this table, it's time for you to get right with God so that you can partake. Don't, don't partake unworthily. But Paul says, let a man examine himself and then partake. And so I want, you, and I want to ask you to do this just for a moment here. Would you bow in prayer? Would you examine your heart? Is there sin in your life? The Bible says if you sin he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Is there stronghold that you're holding on to? As we think about what Jesus Christ did upon the cross, why would we hold on to sin? Why would we live in sin? The apostle Paul says, shall we continue in sin, God forbid? Think about what Jesus did. His body was beaten, it was bruised. It was placed upon that cross. The nails pierced his hands and his feet. Plucked his beard out. They placed the crown of thorns upon his head and as his blood was spilled. Paul said this do in remembrance. Father in heaven, I pray as we search our hearts. Lord, I pray that we're clean before you. I pray that your Holy Spirit is working in each heart now. And I pray that there would be no one here in this room that would harden their heart. No one in this room that would choose sin that we'd take every opportunity we can to experience your grace, your forgiveness, your mercy. And Lord, maybe there's someone here today, they just can't seem to get victory. I pray today that you would give them victory. I pray that you'd encourage them. Lord, maybe there's someone here today with guilt. I pray today that you'd forgive them of that guilt. Lord, if there's someone that's bitter, angry, jealous. Lord, I pray you reveal those thoughts and that heart and that root that has maybe even established in many of our hearts. And Lord, as we come to this table, in light of what you did for us, you died for all of that. And we don't have to carry any of it. We don't have to live in any of that. And so Lord, today we we are so thankful for what you did upon the cross. We're so thankful that you were obedient to the Father and you willingly went as a lamb to slaughter. You willingly shed your blood so that we could be redeemed. And so Lord, with great gratitude today in a grateful heart, we thank you for being our Lord. We thank you for being our savior. We thank you for being obedient to your heavenly father. Would you look with me again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul wrote this, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Paul writes, and after the same manner, also he took the cup. That same manner, also as he gave thanks for the blood. Would you bow in prayer? Father, we once again come to you and just thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, there's not a sin that's ever been committed by mankind that has more power than the blood of Jesus has to forgive. There's not a situation in our life that cannot have victory because your blood isn't powerful enough. Your, your blood is powerful. Lord, as we think about how it was shed, it was a beaten face, a crown of thorns, a spear in your side, a cat of nine tails across your back. And every drop that was came out of your body, it was powerful enough to forgive every sin that all of mankind has ever committed. And so Lord, today we remember this. We thank you for it. Lord, we sing about the blood. We are so thankful for the blood because without the blood, there's no way for us to be redeemed back to you. And so Lord, we thank you for going through this agony. We thank you for shedding your blood so that we could have forgiveness of our sin. And we praise you for it. And we, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And after the same manner also, we took the cup. And when he has up, saying this cup is New Testament in my blood, this do as often as you drink it, remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he come. Father, again, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, as we look into your word now when we study this coming of the Lord, so you come again. Lord, give us insight. I pray that your spirit would guide us. I pray you'd bring understanding to us. And uh, Lord, may we not just know your word, may we apply it and do something in our lives with it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter four this morning. Paul told the church this, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Paul is prophesying, telling, foretelling, teaching a doctrine of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ there as we partake in the Lord's table or communion. Paul says he's coming again. We do this till he comes again. In Revelation chapter number four, The author of Revelation is is John. John is is writing of the things that are going to come in Revelation chapter four and on through the rest of this book. And each week, I'm reminded, I was reminded even this past week, and I wanna take my time with this series and I don't want to assume anything. There may be some of you that have been in church your entire life and you might say, well, I understand that, why is he, why is he uh, giving so much detail or why is he talking about this, uh, we could skip that and I wanna get on to something else. I want you to understand not everybody may be in this room today, not everyone that'll be hearing this message on television or any other way they'll hear this, not everyone maybe has grown up in church and has a clear understanding. So as we get into some of these things, it can be very confusing. When you get into Revelation chapter number four, you could get lost, right? What does all this mean? Last week, we talk about the the horses. I had someone uh, contact me this past week and said, wow, pastor, I thought when I read that before, I thought the one riding on the white horse was Jesus. And and you, why would you think that? Well, because it's a white horse, it's gotta be Jesus. And, and as we're studying through this, I want us to understand, and so we'll go through this very slowly last, the first two weeks of this series, I just simply wanted to give a biblical foundation that Jesus is coming again. If we don't believe that, then everything else that we'll study, it's not going to make any sense to us. Jesus is coming again. And we're gonna look at that here today, but we're building this week by week. We're going to build upon this. So the first two weeks, I just wanted to give a, a scriptural foundation of the fact that he's coming again. Last week, we looked at the judgment that was to come or the tribulation. And I did it on purpose. I I touched on the judgment and now I'm going to take a step back. And we're going to this week, talk about the rapture of the church. Now, I, um, I, I, did this on purpose because I wanted you to understand there was going to be the tribulation. Now we're gonna come back, take a step back, and then we're gonna study into the tribulation. But I wanted you to see that there was going to be a tribulation that was going to come. Uh, uh, God's wrath is going to be poured out upon this world. And we looked at those those four horsemen uh, uh, that brought judgment upon this world last week. Toward the end of the message last week, I Talked about and showed you this would be the rapture of the church that, and we'll touch on this again today, that, um, where is the rapture? When does it take place? What is the rapture of the church? There are many, many that have attended church their entire life that have never even heard of the second coming of the Lord or the rapture of the church or the tribulation or the millennial reign of Christ. And so we want to just thoroughly talk about each of these. And today I want to talk to you specifically of the rapture of the church. Jesus is going to come for his own. And I want us to keep our eyes on the events that are happening around the world. And when you see the events that are happening in the Middle East, like they're unfolding today, I get excited when I see those things. When we start to see those things unfold, all the events of the world start to unfold where prophecy is becoming fulfilled. And I would say to this church, we need to make sure that we're ready, but we're not fearful. The church does not need to live in fear as the coming of the Lord draws closer and closer. We just simply need to be ready for when he comes. When Jesus comes again, We are gonna be taken out or raptured, caught up out of this earth. Go with me to Revelation chapter number four. John writes this, after this, I looked. And then what after what? John is writing, in chapters number two and three, he's writing of the church or writing of the church age. He's mentioning all the churches here in Revelation two and chapter three. That's the church age. That's the age that we're living in today. We call it the church age. Chapter number four is now, John is gonna start to look now into the future. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, a trumpet sounding, talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter or things that are going to come. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, the throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne and he that sat uh, was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine or sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and 20 seats. And upon the seats, I saw four and 20 elders sitting, clothed in white remnant. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. The first thing I want to get right into it this this, uh, morning uh, today and um, I wanna get right into this message. I wanna look at this, the mystery of the rapture, the mystery of the rapture. Paul, and we'll see here in just a few moments that Paul calls it a mystery, the mystery of the rapture. The mystery or a mystery is simply this, a truth that has been revealed by scripture. If it wasn't for scripture, we would not understand but because of Scripture, we're able to understand this mystery of the rapture. John is caught up. The rapture is revealed here in chapter number four, verse number chapter number two and three, it speaks of the churches, the church age. Chapter number four now begins the chapter in Revelation where John is looking into the future. And we see here a picture of the rapture. The Bible says that immediately John is caught up. In 1 Thessalonians chapter number four, if you'll turn there with me, 1 Thessalonians. and, And I say to you this week, as I have every week, we're going to be in a lot of scripture. If you're not able to find that scripture, that's fine. Just write it down. I want you to go back. I want you to study it. If you miss a week, I want you to go back and listen to the message and build upon it. Much of what we talk about, we may be even in the same passage of scripture here in the beginning of this, as we're talking about judgment and we're talking about the rapture, we'll be in some of the same scriptures. And so in First Thessalonians chapter number 4, in verse number 13, the Bible tells us of this mystery, this rapture. Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica, "'But I would not have you to be ignorant, brother, "'concerning the things which, the them that which are asleep, "'that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. "'For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again.'" How many of you believe that Jesus died and rose again? If you believe then that Jesus died and rose again, somebody says this, how can you believe something like the rapture? Well, we can believe in the rapture. We can believe in the resurrection because we believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. And so because of that, he says, if you believe this, then this is what'll happen. Even so then, also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with? If God had the power to, to raise Jesus, then God has the power To raise us at this time, this rapture. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. This shows us something here, the mystery of the rapture. We find there's two groups of people here that are going to be a part of this rapture. Those that have gone on before us, those that have already died. Their spirits are in heaven now. But when the rapture takes place, their body is going to come out of the ground and, and it's going to be reunited uh, with Christ. Those of us who are alive. If Jesus were to come right now, we would be raptured or taken off of this earth and we would receive a, a new body, a glorified body. And Paul goes on to write this, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and shall remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another. Revelation chapter number four, verse number one, is John is witnessing this event of the rapture taking place. He's witnessing this event. He's caught up into the heaven, and immediately he's in the spirit, and he begins to see the things that we're going to see in heaven. In verse number 16, the promise of the rapture is given in First Thessalonians chapter four. And from the corners of the earth, the dead are going to rise and we are gonna be caught up with them. Look with me in First Corinthians, mark this scripture down. If you're able to find First Corinthians, go there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter number 51, 15. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter number 51. Paul is also giving us, And he uses this word mystery. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 51, Paul writes this, behold, I show you a mystery, or I'm gonna reveal to you a mystery. You would not understand this mystery on your own. It takes revelation from the Bible to unfold this mystery, to show us, reveal us this mystery. Paul says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. He says, not everyone is going to die, but everybody is going to be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Changed Here, Paul is speaking of the rapture. He's speaking here to the church at Corinth, the same as he's telling the church at Thessalonica. This is what John in chapter four of Revelation is seeing. He's seeing the dead in Christ are going to rise and then those are gonna be caught up, we're gonna be changed. We are going to receive an incorruptible, a a, a body that cannot, cannot ever see death. This mystery is revealed, Paul is sharing of this mystery. In chapters two and chapters three, as I just said, is the church age of the revelation. As we study chapter two and three, I have not particularly studied those two chapters in the study today, but that is the study of the church age. That is what we are in right now. As we look, as John is penning down the future, as he's penning down what he sees, as he sees Revelation chapter two and three, he sees us, the church age. As he sees Revelation chapter four, he speaks of what is to come beginning in that. And so we see the, mo. Uh, I'm sorry, we see first of all the mystery of the rapture. Secondly, I want you to write this down in your notes is John reveals for us the multitude of, of the rapture, or who's involved in the rapture. Look with me in Revelation chapter number four again. Revelation chapter four, verse number four, and round about the throne were four and 20 seats. And upon the seats I saw four and 20 elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, who are these? When we start to study things like, well, 24, does that mean only 24 people are in heaven? What does this mean? And this is where you have to be very careful as you're starting to study end times prophecy In you're studying line upon line, precept upon precept. You're taking things through the Bible itself to explain what these things are. The multitude of the rapture, the people who are there, these are the dead in Christ. These are those that have been transformed. When, when John is looking here and seeing these 24 elders sitting here, these are not angels. Angels. Some will say, well, what he sees here are 24 elders. These are angels. No, these are not angels. I want you to see this. We use scripture to prove this in Revelation chapter 5, verse number 11. Look with me there, just on the other side of the page. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And so this tells us that these aren't angels. These are elders, the same elders that we see around the throne, gathered around the throne with the angels, and so they're not angels, these are elders, and they're, are, they're not symbolic, they're not a symbol of of, uh, of something. These are uh, in Revelation 5.5, 5, look with me there, and one of the elders saith unto me, weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seven seals thereof. They're having this conversation so who are these these 24 elders? if you were to study through you would find that many Bible theologians believe this that these 24 elders are the 12 tribes a representation of the 12 tribes of, of uh, Israel. And the 12 apostles representing this. Before Christ, those that are are in heaven because they looked to the Messiah, they trusted in the Messiah, uh, that God was going to send the Messiah, They, they followed after God. So, those that you could say in the Old Testament, those before the cross, and those 12 that would represent after the cross, the church age, us, those that have trusted Christ as their Savior. And so these 24 that we see here around the throne is simply showing us, as John is seeing, there is 24, those from the Old Testament that have now been risen from the dead and, and had trusted in the coming of the Messiah, like Isaiah, I read that this morning, Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah is prophesying that there's going to be a Messiah. And so those that looked to the Messiah, and then there's going to be those that believe that the Messiah has come. We live in the church age. We're not looking for a Messiah to come the first time. Our Messiah, Jesus Christ, has already come. He has come, he shed his blood, his body was beaten, his blood was shed so that we could have remission or forgiveness of our sins. And all those, the Bible says this, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So who are those that are going to be in heaven? Those that are going to be in heaven are those that believe in the Messiah. Now, church, there are some that believe this and they're, it doesn't matter how sincere they are, they're sincerely wrong biblically. You can't get to heaven any way you choose. Religion doesn't get you to heaven. Just following after traditions that you've been taught doesn't get you to heaven. As I mentioned earlier, partaking in communion doesn't get you to heaven. The baptismal waters doesn't get you to heaven. The only way that a person is here, represented here as John looks into the future and sees these elders, those from the Old Testament times and those from the New Testament times, the the church age coming together, the only way for John to see that and for the only way for us to be there that we've trusted Jesus Christ as our savior. The Bible says this, verse number four, look with me. And round about the throne were four and 20 seats. And upon the seats, I saw four and 20 elders sitting, clothed in white remnant. What does this represent? Those that are clothed there in white remnant, it represents the righteousness that we have in Christ. It represents the righteousness that we have in Christ christ go with me to revelation chapter 19 flip over there with me if you would please revelation chapter 19 and look with me in verse number eight of revelation 19 and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white and look what it says for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints It's the righteousness because of Christ. The righteousness that we have is not in anything that we've done. It's not in good works. It's not in religion. The righteousness that we have is only righteousness we have in Christ Jesus because of what he has done, because of who he is. And so Revelation 19.8 reveals to us, who is this? What is this white clothing that we're in, this white raiment that we're in? It's the righteousness that we have in Christ, Verse number four also says this, that we have crowns upon our head. They that had their heads crowns of gold. We're going to see this in the next couple of weeks. Those that have crowns upon their heads. Where do we get crowns upon our heads? The judgment seat of Christ. And so what, what we find is this, the church age, chapter two and three, John then writes of the rapture of the church, Revelation chapter number four. He sees those that are gathered around the throne. They're clothed in white because of the righteousness of Christ. We're able to be there. We're clothed in white. That represents the righteousness of Christ. And there's thron- there's crowns upon our heads. How do we get crowns? We will get crowns at the judgment seat of Christ when we stand before Christ, that's what's called the judgment seat of Christ. Once we are raptured out of this earth, there's going to be a time where we are going to stand before Christ and give an account. Now, that is a whole separate message. Today, I just simply look at the the rapture here of the church. There's crowns upon their head. They're clothed in white. There's 24 seats representing those that have gone on before us, Old Testament, those today of the church age, New Testament, Luke chapter 17, uh, verse number 34 through 37. I won't I won't go there. You marked that in your notes. We've been there in previous weeks. Jesus is telling the story. He says, one is gonna be in the bed. The other one, one's gonna be taken. The other one's gonna be left. One's gonna be in the field. One's gonna be taken. One's going to be left. You know what that shows us? Not everybody goes to heaven. You say, what's the big deal about that? because we're living in a time today that we are told heaven's for everyone. It's not for everyone. God has uh, commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, his desire is for all mankind to spend eternity with him, but man must confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that God hath raised him from the dead. And in doing so, thou shalt be saved. But the entire human race does not go to heaven. The Bible says there's some that aren't going to be there. There's a vast difference that represents people at this time, those that are saved and those that are not saved. Those that are saved that have been bought by the blood of the lamb, they are here in Revelation chapter number four. Those that are not saved, they are the ones that are going to experience the judgment of God here upon this earth. Number three, I want you to write this down. Revelation chapter four tells us this. Thirdly, the secret, the secret moment of the rapture. You say, you're gonna tell us when it is? Nope. So you're not gonna tell us? I don't know. But we do know this. Verse number two tells us this. And immediately, I was in the spirit. Suddenly, that word immediately, suddenly, it happened in a moment. The church age in chapter 2 and 3 is going to immediately, in a moment, is going to be raptured out of this earth. When is the date? We don't know. We just know that it is in a moment, immediately, in a twinkling of an eye, the Bible says. This time is known to God and to God alone. No man knows the hour. I shared this with you. I believe it was last week when you start to study end times prophecy and a man begins to tell you when it's going to be. Well, check the calendar because I believe it's going to be on 2022 and 2024, when someone starts to tell you and narrow it down when it's going to be, I can assure you this, they are wrong. Because we don't have to wait till the Aztec Indians calendar runs out. Jesus could come today. We don't have to wait for any event. Jesus could come at this moment. The twinkling of an eye, nothing is preventing Jesus from coming back before this service is over. He's coming again. Every Christian should expect the return of Christ in his lifetime. I think we ought to live for that. Go with me quickly to Matthew chapter number 24. Please, Matthew chapter 24. Every single Christian, Paul lived this way. Every single Christian ought to be living like Jesus is coming. I've heard preachers say this, Paul believed it and Paul was wrong. No, I think Paul was giving us an example. We ought to be living like Jesus is coming back today. We ought to anticipate his return. Look with me in Matthew. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter number 24, verse number 36. But of that day and hour, no one know, know, knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only, only the only the Father knows that day. Roman uh, Matthew chapter twenty four. Look with me in verse number thirty eight. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered in the ark. You say, what does that mean? It means this: they were not aware that judgment was coming. They were just living like normal. They were eating, marrying, marrying Jacob. They were marrying and making merry and. Like Jesus wasn't coming, just live our lives for ourselves. And in a moment when they were not prepared, they were unaware, there was nothing abnormal that was going on. I, I, I remind you that in the days of Noah, he was building an ark, but it hadn't rained yet. Matter of fact, when that door was shut and they were safe in the ark, that's when the judgment began to be poured out. And it shocked them all, it surprised them all. If it would have been poured out and about halfway through, God would have then shut the ark, people would have been jumping on that ark, into that ark. But no, that judgment came once that door was shut. They were living their lives. There was nothing in their mind abnormal. And oh, listen to me, world the world that we're living in is living their lives like nothing is going to happen. But I want you to know at any given moment, Jesus can come. Verse number 42 of the same chapter. This is what Jesus says. Watch therefore. He gives a command. Watch. For you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Watch. Be waiting. Don't, those that believe that Jesus is coming again, those that believe in the rapture of the church should not just simply let it come. No, we're watching for it. We're anticipating it. We're working for that day. It's changing our life. Matthew 24, 24, Look at me, Jesus goes on to say this. Therefore, be also ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. He says, be ready. In 1 Corinthians 15, as I already read, the Bible says this in verse 51, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, Jesus Christ may come today. Church, we we need to be ready. Number four, write this down, please. I'm not gonna be able to get through all my notes today. We'll just pick this up. Write this down, we see the motive of the rapture. We see the motive of the rapture. Look with me in Revelation chapter number four, again, verses two through five. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in, in, in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that, sat, he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine sown, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. Upon the seats, I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. They had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightning and thunder and voices. There were seven lamps, fire burning before the throne. And there were seven spirits of God. The motive of the rapture would you write this down someplace? Number one, reception. He's going to receive his bride the motive, the purpose of the rapture. Why is there going to be a rapture? This is when Jesus is going to receive his bride. Just like John in chapter number four was brought up to heaven. He's looking out, he's seeing this time of the rapture that Paul is is speaking of. He looks out, he's seeing this, and he sees a great reception. Look with me in John chapter number 14. John 14, verses two and three. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, mark this down, please, some place in your life, in your heart, there's going to be a great reception. Jesus said this, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. The rapture of the church, The rapture, this time that that John is speaking of, the what is Paul is speaking of is so that those that have trusted in Jesus Christ, looking for the Messiah, believing in the Messiah, they are going to be received by the Messiah. Jesus said, I'm going and I'm going to come and get you. The Bible tells us this, Jasper, what we see here of Jasper and he that sat was to look upon like like a jasper and a sardine. Jasper, Revelation 21, 11 tells us this of a jasper. Go there with me. Revelation 21, 11 says this. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for him. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong. I'm reading 20, 21, verse 11. Having up having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious even like what a Jasper stone clear as crystal. The stone what he sees is like Jasper that is represents purity clear and pure that is what represents Jesus Christ clear. Pure, it represents purity. That sardine, that that word there means this, blood red. We're going to see Jesus, when we see him face to face, when we finally behold him, we're going to see him as pure as Jasper. We're also gonna understand this. It's because of the blood sacrifice, just like today, when we take that juice, it represents the blood of Jesus Christ. It's because of the blood we're gonna be there in heaven. Because of the blood, Jesus is represented by these two stones. He's going to come. The, The purpose of the motive of the rapture is reception. Number two, I'll write this down, please. The motive of the rapture is for rescue. You know, in there we see this rainbow. Verse number three tells us, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. This rainbow, What is this rainbow? We remember the first time that we saw a rainbow was what? After the flood. And there was a covenant that God made that he would never destroy the earth again by flood. We see this rainbow, a covenant of God with his people. The church is going to be taken out before the storms of this great tribulation. I need to be done. My time is My time is done. We're gonna pick right up here on the rapture and keep moving through here. I promise you each week, stay studying, get in Revelation chapter four and we'll continue this study here. Would you bow in prayer with me this morning? Would you bow in prayer? I'm gonna ask Jeff if he'll come and close us in prayer this morning. Church, I want us to understand this. As we study the rapture, as we study the end times, it's not just for knowledge. We should be learning of his coming. We should be living for his coming. We should be looking for his coming. And we also should be longing for his coming. As we study through the end times, it should cause us, it should motivate us to be looking for Christ, looking for his return. That should then in turn cause us to live for him, to live that he's coming again. We're not gonna be caught off guard. We're gonna be caught living for Christ, looking for this blessed hope, this glorious appearing. And if you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, as I mentioned from the beginning of this service today, our hope, our prayer, is that you would trust Christ. That you would receive Christ as your Savior today. Would you would recognize that you are a sinner. That no matter how good you try to do, no matter what religion you try to follow, none of that, none of that is going to give you that place in heaven. Only Jesus I didn't say this church, I said Jesus. I didn't say being a Baptist, I said Jesus. Jesus alone. Do you know Christ as your savior? Is there one here today that would say this, today I need to trust Christ, I need to be saved today. I am a sinner, I confess my sins, I repent of my sins. Today, I want to turn to Jesus Christ. I pray through the songs. I pray through the scriptures that have been read. I pray the time that we had around the table at communion. I pray as we study the rapture of the church. I pray the Holy Spirit of God has convicted you and has shown you the truth. There is a Messiah. There is a Savior. His name is Jesus. And the Bible says that if you call upon him, thou shalt be saved. I wonder if there's one here today you would say, today I need to be saved. I need to trust Jesus Christ as my savior today. Is there one like that today? Anywhere? Would you just lift your hand up? I wanna pray with you today. Anyone at all? Then, church, let's live for them. I believe there's some to join this morning. I'm gonna ask that you quickly come. If you're gonna join the church this morning, I want to invite you to come. Right now, and we'll introduce you to the church and we'll vote you into membership this morning before we dismiss. And as they're coming this morning, I want to just simply ask our church would you stand with me? Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Church, I want to remind you that we need to be learning of his coming, we need to be living for his coming, we need to be looking for his coming and we need to be longing for his coming. If there's any area in your life that you're not looking, longing, living for Christ, settle it today, because at any moment, twinkling of an eye, we're immediately going to be brought out of this earth. We're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ Lord, I pray that you would please do a work, Lord, by your Spirit's help that we could not do today in our own power. Give us peace. Give us joy. May we long for the coming of the Lord. We ask you this in Jesus' name. If you'd look right up this way, I want to introduce you to the Shoops, Dana and Susan Shoop, and they would like to come and unite with our church. They've both been saved, they've both been scripturally baptized, and um, they would like to be a member here at this church. So, all those in favor of Dana and Susan becoming members here at Mount Clover Road, would you signify with an amen? amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you again for being here. Jeff, would you close this in a word of prayer? If you're a guest with us today, I'd love an opportunity to meet you as you leave this morning. I'll meet you right in the back. So, Jeff, you close us in prayer, and we'll see you next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this church where we can come and open up your word. Thank you so much for a pastor who boldly proclaims uh, your word with, uh, without exception. Lord, we we know through your word that that your son is coming, just as he came the first time. Lord, I pray as, as Titus tells us, uh, Paul tells us in Titus, to look for that blessed hope. And Lord, I pray that you would give each one of us the the burden to live a righteous holy life lord give us the burden to reach the lost those who don't know your son jesus lord uh because he's coming and uh, we don't want uh, anyone to go through that tribulation lord thank you so much for your son jesus christ and uh, we pray that you would just uh, be glorified through all that we say and do we pray this in jesus name amen